This is the Boys Podcast from TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about The Boys Season 2, Episode 6, The Bloody Doors Off. Point is, mm-hmm. I learned everything I know from those girls. The Golden Girls. I was alone in New York, you know, turning tricks, begging for the scraps. Who you think of me company? The Golden Girls, 3 a.m. to 5 a.m., they lit up the shelter shitty TV. And you're not talking about porn. The Golden Shower Girls? <laughs> it's disrespectful. No, you're so sensitive. No. <laughs> those saucy ladies, they made their own family. So I did what they did. Mm. You are my Blanche. Mm. And Ray, you are my Dorothy. Because mm, you're a little gay. Yeah. <laughs> So you're Betty White? Of course I'm Betty White. Now... Who wants to rob a bank? Welcome back, fellow boys and girls. This is Derek, one of your hosts of TV Podcast Industries, and we're here for the Boys Podcast, talking about the Boys Season 2, Episode 6, The Bloody Doors Off. Hello there, fellow boys and girls, or should I say saucy ladies and gents. Uh, I am one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out this saucy trio of door-blowing, door-opening... I don't know where I was going with this opening. I am Chris. <laughs> door handle turning people, maybe? Yeah, that could, but that's kind of a... If anything, it's like door blowing, uh, kicking in, kicking right. them. I don't know. I yeah. have never blown a door off or kicked a door in, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, maybe not me. I, I once tried to shoulder my way in through a locked door. Um, the door won. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty sure I was more bruised than the door was damaged. Love but, um Yes, kind of the the law of entropy. <laughs> I put enough force into it, it forced back. Nice. But outside of my um, indiscretions with doors, and especially locked doors, uh, guys, what did we think? We're, we're in like six episodes in, mm-hmm. down two left. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this episode was lit. Uh, for sure. <laughs> oh, quote Ashy. Down with the kids. Yeah, quote Ashy. It, it was dope, wasn't it? It really was. Um, <laughs> I, I loved this episode. Yeah, no, this is great. The irony of having uh, poor Ashy as a flame-powered um, soup when, in theory, like he's either been a, a kind of ice-powered soup or a flame-powered soup. He's nothing in between. He's he's always going to be element. Like, why not just give him something slightly different? But no, fire ice. That's it. Hot or cold? Yeah, great to see Sean Ashmore in here, wasn't it? Um, really cool to see him in here. I know he plays Iceman, as you were mentioning in the X Men movies. Uh, he's back here with another very X Men like superpower in here. Do you know yeah. we actually sat across the table from him um, at a press room at New York Comic Con? We did six years ago. I think yeah. next week. Uh, we were there for Gotham doing a, a roundtable interview uh, with all the cast, and uh, they went off to their panel, which we had to be at. 
because that's why we'd flown to New York for the comic convention. And the team brought out Sean Ashmore for the, the show that he was on at the time and asking, asked us to interview him. <laughs> and we were sitting there going, no, no, we're here for Gotham. Uh, we're supposed to be downstairs <laughs> at the panel. Um, we waited for everybody to politely ask their questions. Questions ran out quite quickly because the show that he was on hadn't premiered at the time. Uh, so he kind of st- kind of just sat there staring at us, wondering why two of us were at the table and not asking any questions at all. <laughs> and then we ducked out of the room and ran downstairs to the uh, to the Gotham pa- Gotham Power. So we looked really bad, like yeah. Cool. So we're not we're not getting the interview with Lamplighter no. just now. We know absolutely not. Good. No, not at all. But <laughs> that's sure. why we rebranded to TV Podcast Industries from Gotham <laughs> TV But Lamplight is a really like bad soup, and he's pretty like lame because he like he's a baton twirling uh, majoress. <laughs> I love that everybody laughs yeah. at his costume in this episode. Anyway, this is a completely spoiler filled episode. We've already spoiled a few things before uh, saying that, as we always seem to forget at the beginning of our episodes to say that. Uh, we do hope you subscribe to the podcast. Uh, if you haven't, you can pop on over to tvpodcastindustries.com. Subscribe to us over there. You can also leave a voicemail for us on any of the episodes or our podcast. Uh, just touch the button on the side and leave up to 90 seconds of your thoughts about any of the episodes or the podcast. Um, I did mention a few weeks ago where we are in chart positions. We were at number 53 in the charts of all after shows in the US. And Chris put out a little appeal to try and break that top 50. We are now number 34 uh, of all of the uh, after shows. Uh, <laughs> wow. All the TV after shows uh, in the US. So we are in, what, top well, top 40, I guess? Top 35. Let's do that. So thank you so much to everybody that's tuning in for the boys. It's been uh, very successful for us. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're also creeping up on our other podcast as well mm. uh, with Lovecraft Country. Yeah. We're up to 51. Yeah. We're- Woohoo! So yeah, thanks See, if guys you had me and for gals. Craft, we'd be in the top fifty. I'm just putting that out there. The missing <laughs> je ne sais quoi, the secret oh, sauce God. to to break that top fifty is me. All right, uh, but aside from that, <laughs> <laughs> guys, thank you so much for doing that. I appreciate you. You have all heard. You answered the call. I am so happy. Let's go twenty five. Next top ten. <laughs> Next there top five. <laughs> um, on all seriousness, uh, yes, thank you so much. We appreciate you listening, everything. We appreciate you sharing with your granny, sharing it with your family, because sharing the podcast is sharing the love. But, of course, if you do want to support us in other ways, you cannot head on over to patreon.com slash Industries by dropping us a dollar, a euro, a pound, whatever you can afford. We understand that this is a hard time for many people, so whatever if you can't just remember listening is as great mm-hmm. thank you to our new patrons as well who have joined us over the last month and while our coverage of the boys we appreciate you too absolutely yes we'll be giving our uh, our monthly shout out uh, to our new patrons uh, at the beginning of october which should coincide with the finale of the boys season two but lads let's get into our discussion about the boys season two episode six uh, the episode was written by anselm richardson uh, it's first episode of the boys that he's written uh, he has written a few of the shows including three episodes of the show timeless and he used to be an actor who appeared as a cop in amazing spider-man 2 nice little claim Aww. to fame there isn't it? yeah cool timeless was one i always it's sitting on netflix mm-hmm. it's in my yeah. list it's one i'm like i know i'm gonna enjoy this there's three good seasons there yeah. apparently and it was, it's just one of those when i have time but there's like it's like do i do that or as i'm doing now 
going through all of uh, New Girl from the beginning because mm. it's turn your brain off. TV. Right, yeah. There's, there's this thing that they were saying that during COVID, during lockdown, that people were much more likely to go back to shows they've watched before. Yeah. Not even shows they've missed. Shows they've watched before to watch them again because since the entire world is a nightmare and you don't know what's going to happen next, at least you have the security to watch something that you've seen before because you know how it ends, basically. Well, exactly. <laughs> so. And we've got GBBO, Great British Bake Off, back uh, this evening mm-hmm. as well on epi- on season, like... 125 or whatever it is <laughs> it's going to be like the crew of the nostromo with the alien virus uh, as they're all in kind of a bubble so at some point people will there'll be cake mix and bread dough flying everywhere as it begins to attack no nice. doubt uh, in this I covid really bubble i really want to see the alien egg bake off where it's <laughs> like okay this crack. week's challenge is, is we're gonna use an egg now we want you to put something exposing from the egg oh no it's covid <laughs> i know i think i think at one point i was staring at sort of cookery recipes uh, in video mm-hmm. that kept popping up in facebook and it was just like this iterative loop that the more i watched the more that were getting into my feed and i was like i feel now i'm like a head chef somewhere because i know so many tricks of the trade but are you applying them that is the no <laughs> Well, if all I needed to do was watch a few videos on YouTube to become an experienced uh, at anything, I, I would be pretty experienced at quite a lot of things, uh, especially movie making, because I watch a lot of movie making stuff on YouTube. Uh, but let's get back to the episode itself. As I said, written by Anselm Richardson. Uh, direct, this episode is directed by Sarah Boyd. Uh, Sarah directed an excellent episode oh, yeah. of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 6, Episode 9, uh, Part 2 of Collision Course, if you guys remember. A really good episode. Yes. Uh, we yeah, also spoke really about good. her quite recently in terms of our podcast, because it's been going on for six years. Uh, reasonably recently, we spoke spoke about uh, her episode of Jessica Jones. She did uh, the penultimate ever episode of Jessica Jones, uh, season three, episode 12, a.k.a. A Lot of Worms. And I know I remember how that episode ended, and yeah. it was directed so well. So uh, delighted yeah. to have Sarah over here on The Boys. Yeah, uh, definitely. She is a greater framing for character monologues or backstory bits so if i'm remembering the scenes correctly from that penultimate episode yeah there's definitely a few things there's a signature style if you will of (laughs) some certain parts yeah definitely some good stuff but john do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for this episode sure homelander and stormfront continue their budding romance from alley to alley across the city as they fight crime But despite all this alley love, Homelander realises she's keeping secrets from him. Meanwhile, the boys are joined by Starlight as they follow up on her Sage Grove lead. Infiltrating the psychiatric hospital, they find one of Vought's darkest secrets, adult test subjects for Compound V. The arrival of Stormfront at the facility spurs them to make their escape, but in doing so, Mother's Milk and Frenchy run into a familiar face from their past, Lamplighter. In the ensuing encounter between them, the Vault test subject Cindy is released from her cell, who then frees her fellow inmates with her mind. As the test subjects riot, using their powers, one seriously injures Huey, while another called Love Sausage reaches around Mother Milk. Meanwhile, the Deep introduces A-Train to the Church of the Collective. Queen Maeve has some difficult decisions to make, and Stormfront tells Homelander all her secrets as their relationship deepens and becomes decidedly far right-wing. 
Yes, definitely right wing. Really was. Yeah. We are a family friendly podcast, even though the show is not family friendly. So uh, well done, John, for uh, avoiding all the things I would normally have to edit out. <laughs> Just a bit. Congratulations. Applause. Applause. Budding romance. <laughs> uh, there, there was uh, something around his neck. Mm-hmm. Well, like, touche. Well done. Yes, it was extremely hard uh, to do. <laughs> Excellent. Guys, let's get into our top points about the episode. We normally talk about them from the uh, protagonist's point of view, the antagonist's point of view, and any other moments uh, from the episode. So our protagonist moment, our boys moment from the episode. Chris, you're going to kick us off. Oui, oui. Yes, I think it is a bit of a time for some French history. Or Indian history, apparently. Yes, we are in history, we are in French history, we go get a baguette, some smelly cheese, and we sit by the Eiffel Tower, (laughs) as I give you the background, the background, if you will, of (laughs) wee little Frenchie. Okay. Uh, No, this, I want to do some French history, and by French history, I mean we got a very um, poignant, uh, heartbreaking on certain parts, Mm -hmm. uh, backstory to... Parts of Frenchie, yeah. Um, in terms of like they, they shot back the eight years initially in a flashback, we don't see his full history. Mm-hmm. He it is explained in uh, as you heard in this opening in the opening of our episode and the, the snippet. Like we do get that scene between himself, Cherie, and the the third wheel, if you will. Um, we we get his backstory how he had been on the streets uh, ever since he's come to the states. Um, how we, the Golden Girls have helped him kind of go through. He learned his, he learned English from it. He, he, it helped, um, deal with the, um, the activities he was doing at night, mm-hmm. um, to get through. Uh, and this, as he learned, applied his craft. Um, and then, so we get that quite nice scene where like he even made a, he makes a piece of bomb material, explosive material, mm-hmm. to uh, which we think was to. I thought when I kind of see this part was like, oh, he's gonna like blow open the doors of a safe. Yeah, yeah. Fast forward, we see him in a jail cell, and we get this great introduction to him and Mallory. How Mallory wants him to like kind of recruits him to the boys, mm-hmm. to the special black ops. Um, and that bomb was uh, it was a knockout gas to deal with a a soup. Yeah. So, in season one, in Chris's Corner, I kind of gave the comic book version uh, of uh, kind of Frenchie's history, and I've already discussed how I, I like how they're they're updating for kind of twenty eight the, the for the two thousands the mm-hmm. histories yeah. of these characters and translating them to TV as well, um, because. Yeah, we, we, we've called it out a few times previously. The Boys was written for an era, a certain era, for a certain comic book style. Mm-hmm. It, it was ultra gory, f- stupid in other points, um, hypersexualized. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just everything. Yeah. This is a more grounded, realistic kind of interpretation so he he unfortunately had to prostitute himself he he had they have a drug addiction Mm -hmm. um he's but you see his chemistry skills as he's it looks like he's mixing kind of narcotics there in his apartment as well Mm -hmm. not just being a drug dealer um and we do it it all leads to i was like okay so we get that and that's how he 
joined the boys. Yeah. Like, yeah. I felt like that was it. Yeah, I was very impressed with that. That's kind of like bringing in the special skill before he even got to the point. boys. It's not like he joined the group and then they taught him these skills. He had them yeah. beforehand. Yeah. I think that's really cool. And the way that he's, uh, that Mallory's explaining, it's not just this particular incident. There were also other incidents before where they can track it back to Frenchie's specific talents and those talents would work really good to the, really well with the boys. Like, then that's cool. Yeah, definitely. And when you, when you think back to season one, you, you see and think of how he was able to deal with translucent. Mm-hmm. Like, he knew about the, the skin type and, like, okay, it would have to be inside yeah. and all these types of things. It gets, it, if it plays back even more to that. Mm-hmm. So, what, what do you guys think, John? Yeah, no, I, I loved this uh, backstory of Frenchie and I really liked how it connected in to different parts of the the current story especially yeah. with lamplighter uh at uh, sage grove mm-hmm. and really with mallory as well because I, I found that the the really nice part of french's backstory i love this that moment where he connects with lamplighter and then lamplighter is brought to mallory just how you see this backstory of him trying to help a friend who's overdosing and then that leads to Lamplighter um, killing Mallory's children. Yeah. Because Frenchie wasn't there to stop him, effectively. He lost his tail. But also then how that then comes back to, you know, that revelation, that moment of revelation for Frenchie and how it helps with him and Kamiko as well. So I I thought that that was really nicely done uh, by... uh, by this episode and um and the writers just how they connected it in with what was happening in the present plus in frenchie's backstory and in effectively is kind of moment of redemption a bit with kamiko yeah um and i didn't realize how like mallory was so kind of angry with mm-hmm. him as well yeah. that was a really sort of unexpected touch for me yeah, that was really yeah. really good i think my favorite connection to uh, the current scenes and the past was when billy goes Make sure you don't get caught, Frenchie. And Frenchie goes, I never get caught. And it cuts back to him getting caught. <laughs> that's, a, that's a real old school that flashback nice. right yeah. there. <laughs> I really liked it. I, I, yeah. No, for me, this was the... So we, we had lingering questions of why, like, why there was this malice between Mother's Milk and Frenchie, mm-hmm. which was never really explained. No, it was absolutely like, never explained. Yeah, I love yeah, it. That was the first, the first moment you see Mother's Milk on screen is when Billy's trying to get him to come back and join the boys in, in season one, episode one, and he goes, if Frenchie's there, I'm not. You yeah. know, that's effectively their entire relationship, which I, th- which I love that it's taken to this point to explain why, and now you kind of go, I now know absolutely why. Yeah, really good. Yeah. And they they like even to the scene where we're introduced to, like in the the warehouse, like where we see Mother's Milk with his his ring. He's going to uh, propose to his his wife, mm-hmm. and you see that like how close him and Frenchie were. Absolutely, like that Frenchie was probably they don't explicitly say best man, but he's like I'm going to throw you the bachelor party. We're going to do this. Yeah, I, I always hate with so when they do and. <laughs> Our listeners who have been here for a while know that I really do hate really badly done kind of flashback like episodes. Um, this wasn't it. Like mm-hmm. this was well, well written. It was, as John said, like it was weaved so well into the storyline. Yeah. But then they, they took jab at those bad 
kind of flashback scenes going, yeah. I never get caught, and then show him, like, but it wasn't in a bad way. Yeah. Like, it was done so cleverly. Yeah. Like, um, I, I've mentioned before, I'm a big fan of Lost. I, I loved how they incorporated flashbacks into that show, but they did do those clunky transitions occasionally, you know, especially when you're getting into, like, season four of the show, and they're going, we have to do another flashback with Jack. We've yeah. already done 16 of those. <laughs> how are we going to lead into this yeah. one? Um, so I think that's, yeah, I think that's the reference that they do there. It's just a little bit of a, a clunky transition. Um, yeah. But I absolutely love that this kind of finishes the animosity between Mother's Milk and Frenchie here and now has solidified the two of them as friends again because we get that moment where Frenchie reveals that the whole reason he left was because his best friend was dying of a drug overdose. He thought he was going to be able to leave him. He went back to try and save him, did everything he could, left Sherry minding him, and he took another drug overdose later. But that's the whole reason why why he... didn't catch lamplighter before he did this atrocity basically uh and mother's milk says why didn't you tell us that then you could have been let off the hook of course you know we completely understand why you did something like that it's that your friends are important to you uh and he said i didn't want to be let off the hook and you're instantly going from mother's milk point of view instantly going okay you've obviously you know paid enough for what we considered your crime you know and and frenchie kind of turns that round later on when uh, when mallory's there with lamplighter looking to shoot him frenchie's saying you couldn't possibly do anything worse to him than what he's going through now that I understand what actually was supposed to happen was he was supposed to kill you, not your grandchildren. Yeah. He didn't know that they'd be sleeping in your bed that particular night. He was he was going there to kill you, um, didn't find you, and, and he's going through all of this pain. So shoot him if you want, but he's going through much more torment than, yeah, uh, absolutely. than possible. Uh, and he says to her, I'm here pleading for his life. Uh, never thought I'd do that, you know? So, um, so some great scenes in here with Frenchie. Loved it. Yeah, and again, it just shows how with a great cast, a great writer, a great director, like you're able to get these story beats that don't, in their sort of totality, kind of fully move the story. Like it's not a huge epic battle, mm. per se, right? But for for example, it's not it's not like it's like Stormfront confronting uh, Kimiko, right? It's mm. not a huge. It's not to that level, but it's just all these additional kind of details form this final kind of crux where you, next episode in theory lamplighters working for the boys working with them That's yeah potential working with yeah. them sorry yeah. where you then have like you then have starlight kimiko and a super powered lamplighter mm-hmm. potentially like it's they're all there like you then have three potentially powered individuals to offset the the rest of the seven Absolutely, uh, with yeah. the rest of the boys if it came to this kind of kind of confrontation kind of face to face absolutely and it's entirely possible there's a few more members of the seven that would be joining up with them too during this episode yeah absolutely yes, exactly yeah. there was a moment where i thought they were going to do some kind of flashback to lamplighter where he's sort of lighting the olympic flame because i feel <laughs> that that's literally the only thing he could do but he needs a flame, so if he doesn't have a flame, yeah. I'm I'm just I'm imagining Homelander with Ashy like they uh, like he was with Blind Spot going, So what happens if we do this to Lamplighter? And he's kind of like <laughs> blows out the torch. Oh no. <laughs> I thought the costume looked cool, by it the way. It was cool. I thought it did look pretty cool. Uh, it, it was basically the arrow. 
yeah. Uh, yeah. The the Arrow version, and it but it it's if we saw if you saw someone walking down the street dressed like Arrow, you'd kind of go, okay, <laughs> dressed in all leather with a hood. Genuinely, hey, I've been right to multiple Comic Cons, and in real life, that costume looks damn cool. <laughs> okay. That's Comic-Cons, or a cosplay <laughs> event, or yeah. something. In real life, if a guy was just walking down the street, you'd be like, uh, is uh, it cameras? Unless uh, I knew he could set me on fire just by blowing out that lamplight, then I certainly true. wouldn't laugh at him. <laughs> to be honest, okay, yes. I, I think it's more the spandex superhero costumes, yeah. because then they're kind of more like love sausage, to be honest, really, from <laughs> uh, from Sage Grove. Mm. Because, yes... yes. It is very neutral down there otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but speaking of neutrality, uh, John, do you want to tell us what your boy's moment was? Because we definitely got a scene where uh, Switzerland is found, where there is a, a peace accord. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is the forever lovable, geeky, kooky, nerdy Huey. And I suppose in particular, the two of the people that are really you know, in his corner, uh, and increasingly so now after they've had their their moment with Billy Butcher, but also Starlight. And it's it's how these two characters connect over the the smelling, cauterized, injured body of Huey in, mm-hmm. in hospital. I, I just really liked it because uh, I liked how Billy Butcher and Starlight, just how they could sort of maintain that tension leading up to it, you know, at one point, it, it what I loved that they you know made it out for Billy Butcher sort of sighting Starlight in his sniper rifle, which was massive. Oh my goodness! Like uh, that's a proper gun. Yeah. Well, sniper snipers must have to be hugely strong because I was just thinking I'd be knackered after a hundred meters carrying that <laughs> on my back. So or, or mountains or whatever, I wouldn't make it. But it's less of a sniper rifle than a, a rifle with a pole on it that reaches your target, so you can shoot them straight in the head. Yeah, or, or just a drain pipe with a sight on it or something. It, uh, yeah, it was massive. I really did like how it went from that moment, and you could see um, Billy Butcher kind of pull back from it. You know, he clips back the um, the safety catch, mm-hmm. and just not being helped down from the van. You know, and Starlight and him getting like sort of more and more sort of at one another, mm-hmm. um, but ultimately coming together, bonding, I suppose, if you will, over Huey. Now Huey is injured in in hospital, but. How his shampoo and and his axe body spray, the the smell of him is is kind of drawing them together. The right. you know you must smell like Vin Diesel. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> must smell like Vin Diesel. Um, and I, I, you know, kind of that connection coming between Billy Butcher and, and Starlight, and I thought that was really good because yeah. you know we've seen him with his his wife or ex wife Becca, uh, not wanting to take the uh, the, uh, her son Ryan because he's a soup and maybe just maybe he's beginning to mellow out as this toughed up um, Billy Butcher and I, I really like that I think as well there may have been some um, bonding as well not just over Huey but the fact that Starlight although it ended in the driver's death yeah and um, she just did what needed to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in fact, when she says, you know, why did that guy pull a, a gun um, on me when she looked down at the body? That's all she could think of. And it kind of mirrors Billy's 
also, I suppose, can do attitude, at least when you're maybe ex-special forces mm-hmm. or um, in that sense. So I, I think there was weirdly and unfortunately for the, the guy whose car they jacked um, and died as a result of it, yeah. um, a, a little bit of begrudging respect mm. for her having to do what she needed to do in the situation, yeah. even though she didn't intend the death. It was yeah. a casualty in a sense of war. Uh, so, yeah, I, this this is my main point because I, I think it's really good seeing Billy Butcher's path with all these people. I mean, he is ultimately... A, a bit of a loner mm-hmm. uh, and he's antisocial to the nth degree yeah. but um you see his barriers coming down and it's really nice and i liked how starlight and billy butcher connected here and it, probably because of how lovable huey is to not only them but also to me because he's starting to get his support structures around him you saw him at the start of the season where he's crying himself to sleep mm-hmm. or having to watch those dreadful 80s uh, videos. And it's just like, you know, Listen to Billy Huey Billy. is gradually getting getting back uh, back to his best, yeah. I think. Although he does have half of something stuck in his side. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I just love the fact that Huey is collateral damage completely. You've got, you've got <laughs> yeah. Billy Butcher who could pr- pretty much withstand that explosion from from the soup and you've got starlight there who could definitely withstand the explosion from the uh from the soup and then you've got we've got poor little uh poor little huey uh it turning into a washing machine inside the van where it's spinning over and over <laughs> on end on end like could you be in a worse place when that hits like when that shock wave hits him you know um but yeah it took me ages to work out while watching the episode i was trying to work out why is she telling this guy to get out of the car and not give them a lift they need to get to the hospital quickly that's the whole plan here is to get huey to the hospital before he dies why is she telling him she needs him out of the car over and over again i was questioning the whole situation even to the point where the guy gets shot killed and is dead on the ground i'm like why is she doing it and then she walks over to the car and gets her powers back to cauterize the wound. I'm like, oh, of course. <laughs> I would have liked that just a little bit, a little bit more of explanation beforehand. Because I was like, this is really brutal. Leave the guy behind. Rob his car, you know. But she needs to use her powers on the car, charge herself up effectively so to cauterize the wound. And she couldn't do that because that would have revealed that she is Starlight to this guy. So yeah. uh, that was the important part. Well, that's it. I'm not condoning carjacking mm-hmm. or anything like that. But, you know, ultimately it wasn't going to end any other way for this guy because i wouldn't let these two into my car if i saw them on the roads with that you would just immediately call an ambulance or something like yeah. that but far away in the country john well i don't want to say that i would just literally put my foot on the accelerator and drive on by because um you know i do Shady feel like i enough? well i kind of <laughs> do feel like i'd try and be a good samaritan yeah which i think no, he was no. and then Okay, well, maybe I, I would have to do a. <laughs> well, look, I have to do a phone a friend or something to fact see. Is you weren't, you wouldn't be carrying a gun, so there wouldn't. Well, be that is true as well. So, that is yeah, true. That's it. Um, I'm I'm gonna just jump in quickly. The bit about this that I actually enjoyed the most was I I know in the last episode we discussed kind of the begrudging growth of Billy Butcher, mm-hmm. and it kind of the more I thought back about it over the last couple of days before we recorded this episode i was kind of like no they're really not they're reverting the character like they they've shown a small bit of growth with kind of him trying to save huey but he's not 
he he's not growing at the rate of the rest of the characters mm. like in terms of character growth and like emotional blah 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 and i was like why like why are they keeping him so stoic and i was like this one small piece and then when we obviously see him at the beginning of this episode when starlight's brought in and i'm like no he's literally going back to like the only good soup's a dead soup yeah I'm like, and he's just singularly focused, collateral damage, they'll go after her first, they're not going to, like, they go after the $1 billion project versus us. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, really? So they were, like, why are they bringing him back to season one, like, episode one, two, like, that level of despicable kind of character? And then actually, they, they've moved it again, because this was, okay, so he now cares about his team again he cares about having the canary but he's also this as you said this begrudging respect for starlight mm-hmm. yeah. so it through it really is huey is their canary but he's also their i, I don't know the growth mechanism of the characters <laughs> or whatever way you want to like he's the one that is actually like the the boys are centering around yeah, and exactly. are growing based yeah. on Always need the glue to he's hold de- it. He's to definitely play. the glue. I think there is also an element where a lot of what Starlight thinks about Billy Butcher is being projected by her onto him. And it's not to say that he's not anti-soup. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that he's not or can't, you know, or can be vile and unthoughtful and all this kind of stuff. But there's a few occasions where he says, "Your words, not mine." So I think as well with Billy Butcher, there's a lot of projection from Starlight yeah. Uh, yeah. onto him. Like even if he has changed the last time they met, yeah. back in season one, he said he would kill her the next time yeah. they, they spoke, kind of thing, you know. So, so she absolutely is not letting him grow. If he has grown, she's not yes. letting him have a conversation where he's going, "Oh, I apologize. Now I found out my wife's son is a uh, is a soup." So I've changed you know so we are seeing it through his eyes and also that would be really quick for the audience to be able to accept a really soft billy who's not going to kill soups that is his whole purpose of the show as well so uh but yeah it is nice to see these two kind of come together in this episode definitely um i also also noticed there was a a relationship budding at least between uh between billy and kamiko as well they they sitting down eating dinner watching telly together as well in this episode so that's another soup that he's uh that he's joining back (laughs) up with uh and that's my protagonist moment from the episode is just about Kamiko. Uh, I love how she proves herself to Lamplighter. <laughs> Lamplighter's kind of going, I can kill all of you uh, in a room. He, he comes in with uh, Mother's Milk and with uh, with Frenchie and Kamiko there. He says, I'll burn you all and Mother's Milk turns it on him and goes, well, she's a soup. You can kill the two of us, but you'll just piss her off. <laughs> and he isn't going to accept it. Lamplighter is still going to kill them until another escaped soup comes in uh, to attack with his acid uh, reflux, as I'm going to call it, yeah. <laughs> uh, as, he, as he spits onto, so uh, onto Lamplighter's um, side. But Kamiko moves into action so fast. She's so cool. Uh, pushes him on his back, <laughs> kicks him in his stomach, so he spits up some of the acid into his own face, killing him. Absolutely favorite soup takedown that we've seen so far. Uh, yes, yeah, loved it. that was um, that was so melty. Just mm-hmm. seeing the, the the face go, I co- I was calling him Puke Boy, um, <laughs> but uh, I don't think acid reflux would, would work so much better, wouldn't it? Or you could yeah. just call him Rene. 
Rennie, Rennie, John. I know, but I'm keeping the French theme okay. from uh, yeah, the first well, point. You. Excellent. I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. That was my uh, that was my uh, soup killer of the week. Uh, if we had, if this was Zombieland. Oh my uh, god! My it, can you imagine that? Would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like what? 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 Huey's rules and soup killer of the week. There you go. There you go. That would be pretty uh, good. That is that is it. That was my uh, my protagonist moment. I just wanted to wanted to talk quickly about uh, about that moment with Kamiko. But since you didn't mention uh, completely that conversation between Kamiko and Frenchie uh, at the end of the episode, I do think that you know, speaking of character growth, we see the whole history of Frenchie uh, throughout yes. this episode and his moment where he realizes after episode after episode of him trying to save her, the moment that he realizes that she's not there to be saved. She never once asked him to be the one to save her he realizes he can just be there for her as a friend. I think it's a, a great moment between these two characters as well. And it seems to have resolved their relationship as we get into the last two episodes. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I like that. If anything, that would kind of is how I would almost see as kind of growth of Kamiko as well. Mm. Cause she's accepting his acceptance. Mm-hmm. If you like for the whole episode, she just has to sly, look on her just like everything he says like pointing though he's like you get in the trolley and she's like no you get in the trolley even though if an orderly came up she can't speak and kind of like where are you going just looking stares blankly back i think just the Um, assumption from him that it would be kamika to get into the trolley was just like "Uh uh-uh not a chance mate (laughs) which i love and also remember the first thing that she said to her was oh have you have you done killing people are you back joining us (laughs) have you done uh, assassinating people for for money uh so yeah their their relationship wasn't good at the beginning of this episode definitely i'll very quickly just call out her uh, choice of accessories when they're going into the hospital, mm-hmm. the knuckle duster, yeah, it's like, oh, so that's what you're, you're going to wear. Conspicuous, <laughs> is it? That's what you spent your money on. I like it. Nobody's going to nobody's going to believe you're a nurse uh, with that knuckle duster. Absolutely, <laughs> and she does give it a good old blow and rub mm-hmm. just to rub yeah. it in. Absolutely, uh, and you get the nice kind of like uh, punch mark of it. Mm-hmm. You do? Yeah. Absolutely. Let's get on to our seven moments, guys. I think we're done with our boys' moments. Lots to talk about there in the uh, in the boys' side of the camp. What's happening over on the antagonist side? Chris, another start for you? Yeah. Um, let's light a lamp to light our way into the boys. <laughs> um, we, very quickly, uh, we, we've already briefly discussed it in kind of in our Frenchie backstory. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it was just the, the revelation of what he was doing, why he was placed in this mental asylum, that they were testing the compound V on adults. Um, yeah. so way back in season one, I even mentioned it that the, the compound V was given to adults mm-hmm. and it's, it was used by adults to give them superpowers as yeah. well, including the um, boys. Including the boys, the they comics, they yeah. they would take compound V to go mano a mano with mm-hmm. other soups. Um, so it was interesting to see that they they are they have discussed this. Like this is now being coming into TV canon that the compound V is being trying to be perfected for adult use mm-hmm. uh, and maintained uh, kind of powers from this. Um, so great to see that. But also we get the history of. Why Lamplighter killed Mallory's grandkids? Mm-hmm. Um, why he left the seven? Um, from the like, not the shame. It's actually he left the seven because, like, he felt the shame of having killing the kids. Why he waited and stared 
at the kids burning. Mm-hmm. He was in shock that he had just killed two innocents. Exactly. Um, and then, like, we won't, I won't dive much more into it, but like, it's just, he was turning on the seven. We don't know what exactly, uh, the guys had on him. Mm-hmm. To turn him in that scene where he, he becomes yeah. the informant that he would, he placed the bugs for Billy and the rest of them. We don't know what that one moment or that piece is. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do know that he's, that he, yeah. So essentially that he, he had turned, um, he was being jailed by Frenchie. Yeah. He, uh, basically went, uh, out of his own way, not on the, the, the behest of story. Homelander, he went on his own way to kill Mallory because he knew Mallory was in charge, mm-hmm. killed the kids, left in disgrace, and then went to work in this. I keep calling it Shady Acres. It was like Sage Grove. <laughs> like Shady Acres. Time went up. No, uh, Sage Grove. Yeah. Um, so what do we, what do we know about the character from before? And I just want to make sure that, that I, that I remember, uh, Lamplighter from before. So Lamplighter was the original soup that left the seven. Uh, under mysterious circumstances back in season one, and that his job yeah. effect- effectively went to Starlight. They said that Lamplighter had gone on a mission um, abroad, yeah. wasn't it? Something like that. Did they yeah. say he was dead? I think they did. Nope. Uh, I thought they said that he was lost in action. No, they didn't have a funeral for him, so no. Uh, no, so yeah. he wasn't dead. Um, that was translucent. That was translucent at the end of yeah. the season, that's right. Um, we knew that he'd killed Mallory's grandkids. Uh, we knew that that's why she'd retired um, after yeah. that happened to them. And that was the reason the boys broke up, effectively, was the impact yes. that had happened to Mallory. Uh, nobody else was willing to bear it uh, from what Lamplighter did. So what we now see at the, in this episode, and, and absolutely everything that you've spoken about is is, uh, is most of what happened, but the one other thing that we see in here is that he's been working for uh, for stormfront um yes and and likely for the entire time he's known who she is she seems to be fully in control of who he is um we heard a little bit about the connection between stormfront and stan edgar a bit more clearly in this episode we saw that uh that all of the emails that were going back between uh stormfront about sage grove were to stan edgar and there were there were direct connections between the two of them about all the experiments going on there her saying that she's very close to the to what's happening here and that lamplighter has been used to destroy the evidence or to burn up the evidence yeah. uh, of any of this of this work so it looks like sage grove itself is Stan Edgar's facility being run by Stormfront and they're using him as their slave effectively to take care of any uh, evidence that could get out into the public. So that's yeah. that's my kind of read of what, what's happened to him since he was dropped from the set. Yeah, so he he went on a, a secret mission um and he just like he's still on a secret mission according to the public. Mm-hmm. He's still working for Vought. He's working directly for Edgar. He reports to or is subservient to uh stormfront mm-hmm. at that point when we she comes in we just think that she is kind of his manager if you will yeah as a soup uh, we'll learn we learn more later yeah but essentially yeah that, that that's pretty much it he he's there to uh destroy evidence and maintain the uh the, the secrecy of what's going on Excellent. one bit we do not know is why does Edgar know why he left, why he wanted to leave the seven? Because it's specifically called out by Frenchie and Mother's Milk. Lamplighter never told Homelander. Mm-hmm. 
Like, he never told the rest of the Seven about the Mallory incident right. or turning tail or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so has he told Edgar or has he gone, I'm out, I want out, and they've just, and he goes, I don't care where you just put me away, right. I want to pay for my whatever sins. Yeah. And they put him into Shady Acres. I keep calling it Shady Acres in my head now, and I'm that's no. forever. <laughs> when I say Shady Acres, listeners, I mean Sage Grove. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so there's a still a bit of mi- missing evidence there. Yeah, definitely. That, that may be dropped or it may just, we may find out more in the next two. Yeah, I'd say we'll find out more because I, because I do wonder how much he knows about the relationship between Stan Edgar and Stormfront, how much he knows about their relationship more than anything else. Cause yeah. how much more useful will he be to the boys if he actually is sharing information about the two of them with, yes. with the boys, which I think is much more likely that there's, that they're going to explore that history there so that we can find out that the, he is a real, inside man on the on their relationship as opposed all the stuff outside of the seven that the boys don't know about with thought uh he could yeah. be the way in on that so yeah yeah cool Definitely. cool um okay so let's wrap up uh, and snuff out the light that is lamplighter's point uh let's move it over to john what's your seven moment yeah, it's it's the the pitch from Stormfront effectively to Homelander. It's kind of like, mm. well, we knew potentially something like this was coming, but um, I I like how she just tells him everything, and I like how it connects him with their their romance really, uh, and certainly given uh, how charred that uh, sort of dozen red roses became, uh, you know, <laughs> you, you you've just got this feeling I think always with Homelander. And that he's gonna kill, he's gonna hit, mm-hmm. and, and so on. And what with him getting slightly upset that she had lied to him because she'd gone off to Sage Grove when she said she was having a meeting with her people in in Vort Tower, to this moment where she is saying, "I will tell you everything. I will have no more secrets." And goes through her backstory. She shows him the Liberty costume there. That there's a dagger as well in that chest, and there's something that I don't know. Um, it it feels like it's it's some kind of army dagger or something because it's got an insignia on it. Mm-hmm. It's an SS officer's dagger. Okay, I, I thought it was. I just didn't catch the lightning strikes, um, the double yeah. lightning strikes of the SS symbol. But the red on that knife looked sort of familiar. I think there. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely an SS dagger. It was an officer's dagger that, uh, sorry, history nerd sometimes mm-hmm. around this thing. Uh, the officers of the SS, particularly the kind of the the elite um, officers, were given these kind of SS daggers. Um, and the reason, the only reason I I caught it is later she talks about Goebbels, um, mm-hmm. and we, yeah. she calls out the other main well known kind of the Himmlers. Um, uh, in that photo mm-hmm. uh, where she's showing herself, they all are in their dress uniform yeah. and have the daggers, and it's the SS dagger. Right. Interesting. Very yeah, interesting. no, it was it was all kind of laid bare by by Stormfront here. Um and we we get the 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 revelation, I suppose, that um she was the first person to have been given compound V. Um and becomes um well whatever she became before uh, liberty uh, we we see her daughter who 
has died before her as well yes. in the picture. Yeah, we, um, we were guessing, was it her mother? And yeah, then we exactly. went, was it her sister? We didn't go as far as daughter, daughter, but that makes her so much more, so much older, really, doesn't yeah. it? But. We were thinking 70, and then we find yeah. it's 100 and... 100. Uh, no, slightly more. She said she was born 112, uh, in 1912. She was born in 1919, so she's 100. Because um, the show took place in in 2019, uh, first season of the show, and we're only about two or three months after. Actually, less than three months after uh, the first season. So we're still in 2019 now, according to the show. So she's 100 years old. No, it's got a hundred and some change now, right? <laughs> Maybe 101. There you go. Well, I wonder if she'll be getting a telegram from the Queen. Um, but <laughs> Probably not. Um, no, not certainly with her associations. Yeah, she, she lists everything. Um, you, you see the photo of her with the Nazis, um, her daughter, and we see the picture of um, Frederick Force as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the and- most important guy in the room. I love that she didn't call out Hitler there. She called out Frederick Vought instead. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought she was talking about Hitler there, and then, yeah, it was... Frederick Force. Mm-hmm. Um but they fell in love. He gave her a successful treatment of compound V and then um but I, I suppose the, the, the real pitch here from from Stormfront to, to Homelander is effectively bringing him into her worldview. This mm-hmm. idea that Vort's true destiny is is not in cuddly toys it is in um the culture war and winning that culture war against other races as she says uh, that are grinding um us down she goes to homelander she she pitches homelander is the person to lead the army of supers against um the others in this culture war Mm -hmm. um and again it's just the presence of anthony Starr. Uh, with the menace of Homelander and whether, you know, as, as with this instance, is he going to snap her neck or kiss her? I really, really don't know. Mm-hmm. Is, is this the moment where we learn truly that Homelander maybe has some kind of baseline moral, even though he <laughs> has pretty much shown any absence of that previously? And he goes in for the kiss here and uh, it's just the interesting thing with Homelander. He is so fluid in his morality that I kind of thought, oh my goodness, there we go. He's signed up with a kiss uh, on Stormfront. Mm-hmm. But then because he's been such a horn dog all the way through the episode, I was just thinking, has, he, has that just kind of gone and washed right over him and he doesn't care whatsoever? Because <laughs> all he wants to do is kiss her. But I, I know that's not the case, but it is, it's, it's just that forever fluctuation between my mind is what is this guy really about, uh, other than truth, liberty, and the American dream, which of course is about to be trashed with his sort of hookup with Stormfront and, um, I suspect him buying totally into her pitch mm-hmm. of fronting the culture war, white supremacy, uh, and all of this. And yeah. I was like, damn. Yeah. yeah. I, I loved how they don't specifically call out the Aryan uh, master race. Or they, 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 they don't... They don't use those terms, but oh my god, it, it it's all in there. Like, white supremacy, it's everything that the, the Nazism 
the ideologies of Hitler's Mein Kampf, mm-hmm. um, which was the na- main Nazi ideologies twisted and perverted around the Aryan race, which is the the blonde-haired, blue eyes, um, kind of master race who would inherit the earth yes. above all others. Homelander, um, yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then what she's talking about is, yeah, the, the, the next step of this, which was uh, Frederick Vaught's dream mm-hmm. was the Aryan race would be superheroes. Yeah. They would be superpowered individuals to control the rest of the the in the, to control the other races in this culture war mm-hmm. as they specifically keep calling it. Um just did not I know we were when Frederick Vaught was brought up mm-hmm. in episode two we were like, this is going to be important. They're, they're doing this for a reason. Yeah. They're going to give us more history on Vought. They're, they're going to tell us why. And we talked about Project Paperclip. We talked about everything. Mm-hmm. We talked through, like, it's like, oh, well, they're going to do this. And maybe they kind of, they're going to bring, breathe more life. And I, I loved this quote unquote reveal. We knew she was Liberty. Mm-hmm. The fact we had queries around, okay, maybe it was like her, like maybe she was 70. Maybe she, like we were trying to figure out how it was all connected. The fact that it's like, yeah, no, she's a Nazi. Vault was founded by Nazis. Um, and potentially this is their, like, although I don't think Edgar can be really in this because mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like it. No, not at if all. If anything, Edgar's specifically reporting to maybe Stormfront. Mm. Like, if you think this was this company was founded by Frederick Ford yeah. and his wife. But then she, it, it really depends on what is the culture war that she speaks about. Because just her, what she did in the tenement block, mm-hmm. what she has done with A-Train. Yeah. Yep. So I can't imagine... She's a murdering I, evil racist. No, I know yeah. she is, but so that's why I don't feel she is working with Edgar. I, I think oh, she, no, no. she's working with him to the extent that Vought wants this this to happen, to have a stabilized compound V, but it's to her ends, yeah. not necessarily Edgar's. Absolutely. And I think I think the, the suggestion that we had last week was that potentially... Everybody in Vault works for her because she's been around longer than Vault has. Yes. So she effectively is running the company, whether she's using a pseudonym, whether she's covering it up in a different way. Everybody is working for her, whether they know it or not, is, is the way yes. I see it. And I believe the plan all along now, after this revelation, was the plan is to get Homelander on their side because he is the realization of Frederick's dream. He is exactly... Yes. Yeah. The Superman, the Aryan Superman they've always wanted to create it from the beginning with all of their tests, all their experiments. He has been created, but he's been used by Voss as the leader of the Seven, now putting her in the same room and her convincing him he is now a member of their side of things, of their culture war, as, as they're calling it. Um, and it, yeah, it only, it, it literally, the cogs slipped into place as she said it. And I was looking at Homelander's face and seeing the blonde hair, blue eyes, and going, yeah. "Oh, of course, that's who. Yeah. That's who she's talking about." And that, that's what it was for me when when she was saying her speech and and going through everything they believe in in the in the, the Nazi uh, 
system, I suppose, all the way through going, oh, she's going to get to the point where she's going. And you are the product of all of our dreams. I love you more than I could possibly love anybody else, I think she says to him. So uh, so it is. It seems like the, the realization of everything. So this was all yeah. um, staged effectively to get her and Homelander connected. So I, I couldn't have put it better yeah. when you said that kind of everything clicked into place. Yeah. For me, it was like that Rude Goldberg machine, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of like everything was perfectly set up. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons I love Eric Kripke and the rest of these writers mm-hmm. room. They, they have perfectly set up the stage and then basically clicked everything. We didn't know everything. This ball was going. We were along for the journey. And finally at the end, it hits the last domino and it actually spelled out the plot. I'm like, <laughs> oh, of course we should have recognized that. <laughs> Uber mention, like, like they, the, the super race. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, it all just. Like you said, literally, you just went. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, just classic. Excellent. Uh, obviously, not their plan. Just the of right course, plan. yes. <laughs> yes <laughs> just in plan. case anyone was listening and mis- misinterpreted. Absolutely. Um, um, John, anything else on the, on Homelander and? Uh, on no, I, th- I think that's there? the whole thing. Grant, um, on the antagonist side, the only other thing that I want to talk about here was just uh, Maeve's mission is now fully clear. Um, she sent the deep off uh, to speak to his ocean friends and find some footage possibly of the plane crash from season one, um, which I love has come back as a really important uh, piece of the plan here for Maeve because it did seem to affect her quite significantly in season one and the season ended without any kind of resolution to what happened on that plane with Homelander killing everybody on board and then pretending it was something else um, and taking credit for going out and saving them. This was what started them on the point of uh, potentially if they were part of the army, they could stop any kind of terrorist attacks happening in the future. So the fact that the Deep has found footage of that speech that he gave and then left everybody behind to die um, and gave it to Maeve so that she can now use it to possibly free herself is I think going to become important uh, as the last two episodes play out. I don't know how important it's going to be because the threat of it, I completely understand. Right now, she has a GoPro that the Deep didn't think would even work. And she hasn't taken the footage off the GoPro. So I hold in my hand this piece of plastic that's very easily meltable, which has footage of you on a plane telling people things. Probably not the best plan when someone has laser eyes. Um, but I'm hoping that she'll make multiple copies and have them ready to go to CNN because she does say she's going to send it to CNN if he doesn't let them go. Yeah, I did kind of feel that she had left an option off when she was speaking with Eleanor, um, which is basically that Homelander just kills the both of them. Mm. Um, I'm not entirely sure even what she's looking to do is enough of a threat, to be honest. Mm. Um, I think... uh, I think he would just kill her, probably go to CNN and kill them. And who knows now with the, the, the pact between him and Stormfront, mm-hmm. if that affects Stormfront's plan, which it would do, cause it will bring down Homelander. Yeah. Then I, I, I just don't see him caring enough because actually what Stormfront has weirdly done in some respect is free him of the corporate restraint that he always has. Like you think back to the last episode where his view was, I just want to laser these people. Mm -hmm. He knows that's not going to be good for his popularity. And maybe just maybe Stormfront is elevating his views 
beyond that to something more cultural, as she says. Um, So it just feels like Maeve, I think, is in real trouble. Yeah, she may have missed her opportunity, you know, and the, the way she's probably thinking about it is the exponential reaction of the public. You know, he what what was seen from that phone cam footage was that he killed one other person. There was one uh, person in that village that he killed by not not watching his place when he killed the terrorist that was there. Yeah. And here it's showing that he killed an entire plane full of people. 200-something-odd people died in that plane crash that he let fall out of the sky. So potentially she's just thinking and connecting the dots and going, if that got a rally of a couple of hundred people outside Vought, can you imagine what this would get? But she absolutely, obviously, doesn't know the other story that's going on here. Yeah, and also I think it impacts Maeve. And I just wondered whether we were going to see Eleanor say, I'm out of here. Because, yes... We, we get the explanation from Maeve. She was scared. She tried to save some people, but not all. But ultimately, it's both of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's going to be the key, the, the outcome, conclusion mm-hmm. in the next episode, which is like, yeah, I think Alan is going to leave. Like, yeah. And then Homelander's going to enact revenge anyway i it's kind of like hey she was complicit Maeve was complicit even though like we get that emotional scene yeah where she's kind of like i i I had to go along um we know she was complicit in this and i think alan is looking like that exactly yeah exactly Exactly. excellent uh any other moments from the episode that you guys want to talk about after we've talked about our protagonist and antagonist moments chris anything from you uh, I, I'm just going to talk about a a uh, the the big D moment, mm. the, the the big D energy. Um, oh my god, I love the boys. Uh. I love this <laughs> show. Like it was just hilarious. So good. Uh, and it was like it wasn't like it wasn't gratuitous. It wasn't in your face. It was in your mother's milk face, but it wasn't gratuitous. Uh, it certainly was. Um, yeah. It was just it was just very well done. But then they 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 hinted at it. Earlier in the episode, mm-hmm. uh, and then again, like later on, you have Frenchie, like <laughs> when Mother's Milk is on the phone to Butcher going, Did you tell him about it? Did you? Did you? <laughs> yeah, awesome. Just, like, just they, so good. They, they played on it well. Like it wasn't just a kind of slapstick moment. It was, it was but at the same yeah. time, it played into the, ca- the rest of the story. And the- anyway. Just wanted to call out Absolutely. big D energy for the boys. Yeah, so let's let's call it out. The character is named Love Sausage uh, in the yes. uh, in the credits <laughs> for the episode as well. Awesome. Uh, just to reference uh, Mother's Milk's uh, comment when he sees him on the uh, CCTV footage, there is another moment where he appears in the episode as well, just in case you missed it, when they're looking at all of the attacks across all of the screens. You, get, you see somebody being dragged across a floor by, lo- by yeah. what looks like a tentacle. Uh, we know by the end of the episode, it's not a tentacle. Yeah, it was just hilarious. It really <laughs> anyway, isn't that, a tentacle. That was my other outstanding moment. Excellent. Uh, John, uh, you have another outstanding moment in the episode as well. Yeah, well, I mean, Chris took that one, so um, that is definitely up there. Uh, it is also, you know, crushed head, crotch rubbing, and alley sex, Homelander and Stormfront, you know, with this whirlwind romance spicing it up as only kind of a splash of blood uh, can, uh, it was just, oh my goodness, 
what a great opening um, as they carry on their little dalliance um, and fighting crime at the same time. Mm. It was just as they're kissing and beginning to hook up in the doorway in the alley with the blood all over their face and just the pan back where the the criminal is kind of just had his head sort of sm- pushed, pressed against the wall. So there's yeah. just this sort of cavernous skull area uh, and the two of them going at it uh, in the alleyway. So the, there's not really a lot more you can say, mm-hmm. really. Um, and uh, yeah, Stormfront certainly knows how to... Uh, rub Homelander up the right way. Well, exactly, exactly. Like, it is interesting here. Homelander is leaning into the Joker argument, really, isn't he? So you have the Batman argument where he will arrest criminals over and over and over again, put them in Arkham, and if they get out, they get out. He'll just arrest them again and put them back in. That's that's his method. He won't kill, effectively. Uh, and the Joker push to Batman has always been, well, kill me, just kill me, because you know I'm going to get back out. So here we have... Homelander and Stormfront, uh, where Stormfront's effectively saying that to uh, to Homelander, they're going to get out of prison if you put them in. So why not just kill them now? And Homelander goes, "Okay, yeah, then," yeah. and crushes his skull. Exactly. Yeah. But remember, one of the things that we haven't really just referenced in this episode with Homelander and with Stormfront, this is his first girlfriend. He's kind of going through his teenage obsession phase with the girlfriend you know um the previous relationships that he's had haven't exactly been uh well anyway real at all obviously you know with becca he had no relationship there he has a son with her with madeline Stillwell, he has an obsession with her breast milk but he has no relationship there either and um, so this is his first girlfriend so the only only person that's ever really returned the attention to him so he is totally obsessed did anybody notice how pitiful that moment was with uh, with Stormfront, where he goes, "Come inside my uh, come inside my uh, caravan for just a minute. I've got something special inside for you. This is one of the richest men in the world, it seems." And he buys her a bunch of flowers inside, and is with a little card saying, "Thank you for the th- thank you for the nice day, Homelander," and that's the special thing she's supposed to be getting as a big surprise for her inside. He's only he's basically a fifteen year old, you know, who's well, obsessed I'm not with gonna his get, I'm not gonna get you flowers anytime soon. <laughs> it, in fairness to him, it was a dozen red roses, which I suspect some people might find I'm sure romantic. I don't think Storm. It wasn't a PlayStation Four that you got no, or know. new PlayStation Five. I get it, but like Oh well. <laughs> romance is dead romance fellow is boys dead. and girls <laughs> um, I was more underlining the fact that this is one of the richest people on the planet uh, he is the leader of the seven he can get whatever he wants and he chooses to get red roses for someone that I don't think red roses would go down well with it's like he read the pamphlet of how to deal with your first girlfriend and when she doesn't turn up after 20 minutes of being away, remember, he blows up his own trailer and sets it on fire because he's I get having a tantrum. No, I get that. He's <laughs> definitely childlike and childish, for sure. Um, he's not developed socially. I get that. I think the thing I was thinking more of was, and it was kind of a bit when Stormfront does his pitch, was like, is he going to kill her because he's just realized he's been banging a 101-year-old? Um, or something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, that was the thing that 
was just like, oh no, we've just learned that she's 101 as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have to see. Absolutely. But John, you are welcome to buy me red roses anytime. I'll always accept them. No, I wouldn't do that though. Well, so there much. we go. See, very nice. Just buy him a PS5. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, my last one that I, that I want to talk about just is the Deep and A Train. Um, because we didn't really talk about it in the episode, and the the fact that the deep is now carrying Fresca in his bag to encourage people to join the <laughs> Church of the Collective is quite funny. Uh, we also have another fall from from A Train where he's getting his superhero song uh, sung by, um, well, sung really badly by uh, <laughs> as a demo. Um, I love Ashley's reaction. You referenced it earlier on to uh, to the song going, isn't it lit, A-Train? As if she needs to speak with the cool kids kind of uh. thing. And as we mentioned, he responds with the uh, with the <laughs> yes, it's so dope, Ashley, isn't it? <laughs> like she's some kind of MTV presenter from the 90s. Uh, very funny, uh, very funny scenes. But, um, but I suppose we get the kind of reveal that A-Train isn't going to be allowed to go out to pasture by the seven and go on with his career the way that it was kind of set up by PR for him. Um, he was told he'd be able to go on the, the talk show circuit, all that kind of stuff. Not only has he been replaced uh, in the seven, also his outfit is going to be moved on to the new A-Train. Yeah. The title will be taken as well, everything. The whole persona that he's been building up for years is just going to be handed off to somebody else and he will have absolutely nothing. There is no way Vought are going to allow him to go on the talk show circuit as somebody else saying, I used to be A-Train, and they took everything from me. There's just no way that that's going to happen. So um, so this is how the uh, Church of the Collective are getting under the skin of A-Train and trying to get him involved in their organization as well. I just thought it was uh, a really different uh, side of what we thought was going to happen to A-Train. Things were going bad for yeah. him, but they're going worse yeah, now. Definitely. And now we have the deep uh, being used to get A-Train on board. I do like it's a subtle nod or jab at the Flash and how the Flash's moniker has been given to multiple people. Mm -hmm. So, like, Barry Allen was replaced by Wally West, who was replaced by Barry Allen, who was replaced by... Like, the Flash is always the Flash, but it's just by different people. Um, Mm -hmm. So I just thought that that was... Yeah, it was a a nice jab, especially as a speedster. Yeah, it just seems like one of those things, doesn't it? That that they're that they could possibly replace it. But I just, I just, I love that they know so much about him as well in this in this group. I love that they know that he is, you know, six figures in debt here. You know, he has no mm-hmm. possibility of paying off that debt now because they're taking away all the things that could possibly allow him to. With with taking away his moniker, with taking away his suit, everything be passed on to the new guy. He's out and done basically. So, um, so again, their sell to him is if he allows Deep tell him his truths about A-Train, then they may be able to get him back into the seven in future. So we're we're kind of in a an, another interesting situation with those two on the outs, particularly annoyed at getting thrown out by uh, by Vaught and by by Homelander. We have Maeve over on the other side in with with her situation with the video, and we have all of the other soups uh, joining up, it seems, uh, with with the boys. Um it's definitely going for collision course right now. Yeah. I do like and I'm hoping they do revert to and f- tell us why and how Stormfront was part of. Or remember, she'd, she'd say, and it was kind of a toss away line, but so far we've learned there's not many toss away lines mm-hmm. with Stormfront. Um, she was part of the collective but left. 
because they started allowing um, people of ill repute. I can't remember the exact phrase she uses, uh, essentially talking about uh, non-Caucasians. But yeah, I'd, I'd be interesting to see if that if that surfaces again. Yeah, yeah. whether she told Stan to get rid of him and Stan passed it down to Homelander or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, it'd be quite interesting as well, wouldn't it? Um, have to call out... Uh, Enya's Aranoko flow playing uh, in the Church of the Collective <laughs> as they as they walk in, probably one of the best selling songs of all time, but known as being completely anodyne because nobody can understand the words of it. <laughs> so, uh, so I know, I know, uh, not particularly an Enya fan. I know they're massive in the US. Um, and oh, actually, uh, her band, original band, uh, Clannad, used to live next door to my grandmother. So her fa- there her, you go. Her there family were in Indeed. So, um, they're kind of famous. So yeah, they're very famous. They did the uh, the theme tune to, to Robin Hood in uh, in the eighties. So uh, <laughs> as we all know from Ireland. Uh, but anyway, uh, there's there's the connection there. Um, any other last notes from the episode that we haven't talked about? Nothing from my side. Uh, I have Chris's corners coming up. That's true. That's true. Couple from me then. Um, the bloody doors off. The episode title is taken from uh, Michael Caine's infamous line well if you've seen the film anyway from Italian Job one of his teammates blows up a car and the response comes from Michael Caine going you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off um, uh, I will like that line um, in the correct accent please because I cannot be the only one who does the <laughs> terrible accents come on Derek you could do it you are only supposed to blow the bloody doors off <laughs> I usually just put your uh, your voice through a filter so it goes back to your Irish accent uh, after oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, but the name the bloody doors off is also the name of the 12th volume of collected comics from the boys and you guys may or may not know this uh, in the comic books Billy Butcher is described as a Michael Caine type character he's supposed to have the voice of Michael Caine in the comic books yes so, and that was that was uh, what the Actor who plays him in the the recent uh, audio drama. That's the voice that he puts on as a Michael Caine accent as well. So, uh, so lots of little references in there uh, to Michael Caine. I don't think anybody mentioned for some reason throughout the episode. I was expecting somebody to mention that uh, that this episode felt like an X Men breakout. Right, the whole the whole <laughs> everything in the scenes seemed to be uh, like the stuff that we'd see in X Men more than uh, more than any of the other superhero shows that we've uh, yeah, yeah that we've definitely. talked about or more than more than any of the episodes of the boys that we talked about anyway. Um, my last note uh, is just about Cindy and um, this uber powerful soup that's been tested upon, that's been attacked by everybody. That seems quite reasonable when she's talking to the boys, but very angry when she's talking to to uh, Lamplighter, and very angry when she's attacked by Stormfront. And um, Stormfront puts her down at the end of the episode. She uses her powers, knocks her to the floor, and then kind of leaves Lamplighter to take care of the place as she goes off again. Yeah. And then we see at the end of the episode, Cindy's free and walking away. So we can't, obviously, we know that Lamplighter has joined with the boys and left, but nobody took care of Cindy. She seems nope. massively powerful. Nobody is there left to take I care of I just kind of assumed that Stormfront had killed her because she had yeah, said, okay. um, yeah, I just killed or mopped up six outside it's like a teddy bear's picnic out there uh, as she comes in and i just kind of assumed that was code for well i've killed them right because no evidence yeah so i assumed she was going around cleaning up you can't kill the product they can if you don't want them to be found out world true true (laughs) true um i I will very quickly call it we now know who killed uh rainer based on the power set or the assumption is, based on the power set, Cindy has killed, was used to kill Rainer. Because her head's exploded. Yes, we never knew yes, who exactly true. killed Rainer via, from so far away. Yeah. 
it looks I would based on I based on the power set, you're gonna kinda maybe mm. Stormfront was the one Good call, I reckon. Got Cindy, took Cindy there and goes kill that person. Yeah, good call. That's a really good call. Yeah. No. It's a ma- amazing special effect and the first time it happens, I love that the boys are watching on as she takes yeah. out one of the guards and then they just boot it out of there, as we'd say. They leg it down the, uh, down the uh, aisles to get the hell out of the area that she's looking on. Definitely. Well, it's like, and Frenchie, uh, Kimiko, and uh, Mother's Milk, when they do go inside initially, before Lamplighter really kind of explains it fully, they think that Vought, this is the super terrorist farm, effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I know we were thinking it was a super terrorist previously that had yeah. killed Rainer. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I reckon yeah. that's... Well, let's see. But she is out in this world, uh, and certainly I, I wouldn't like to be the guy or girl that's given her um, a, a lift. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It does raise the question how many more are out there as well yeah. mm-hmm. in the next episode. Absolutely. Because if one's free, maybe more have gone out. Because we do see that the guy who flipped uh, the car with Huey in it, he had gotten pretty far out. Uh, he got past the gates. That's true. Yeah. So there's probably a good, there's probably a fair more. Yeah, uh, older soups out there with powers. Well, luckily, Billy was there to put him down, so he's he's gone. Um, yeah. Chris, let's go on over to your corner. What have you got for us this week? So I thought I'd very quickly just give the history of Lamplighter from the comic books mm-hmm. perspective. It is quite similar, but there's a few tweaks and changes. So I just wanted to call it out um, because it it is fun to kind of see what they changed, what they didn't. Um, so in the comics, he is. Uh, a member of the seven, um, where in this, in the comic books, he was actually kind of given freely up to the, to the boys by the seven after he killed Mary's, um, granddaughters. Mm-hmm. So the whole premise is that back in the day, similar to what happened, uh, the, he goes off uh, when the boys started originally going after the seven before Huey, before uh, Starlight. Basically, the seven and the boys are butting heads, and Lamplighter go goes. Well, why why are we being the good guys? Like I'm just going to end this, and he goes off to kill Mallory and kills kind of Mallory's daughter, granddaughter, or grandchildren, and everything. Mm-hmm. And the this is seen as a, an act of like crazy aggression by the boys who start kind of overreacting on the top of one of New York bridges. Um, essentially, the seven go, this is getting out of control now. Lamplighter killed the kids. Take him. Right. So he is then killed mm. by the boys. Right. The boys literally beat him to death. By the boys, not the seven. Um, the boys. The boys kill okay. Lamplighter and like literally beat him to death. Okay. Um, he's then reanimated because uh, the boys have this whole thing that Compound V can reanimate corpses. Okay, and it's a whole it's a whole jab at like superheroes constantly coming back. Mm-hmm. But you come back pretty much brain dead, right. like you're you're just a, a mess. And he's hidden from kind of view from the rest of the, from the rest of the public eye uh, because he kind of like like drools and like constantly soils himself and can barely string sentences together. Um so he the he's put he's reanimated, he's put on show and he's essentially kind of shown that he's uh, like he's still alive, he's there and that it's his retirement, he's mm-hmm. leaving. 
Um, because he's basically it's the it's the the rest of the seven have to constantly take turns, kind of cleaning out his cell, right. like looking after him in kind of the seven tower, mm-hmm. and Homelander kind of keeps him there in Vought Tower as uh, an example to all the rest of this, the team mm-hmm. of what happens when you don't, when you, sorry, when you uh, kind of underestimate Butcher and the boys. Right, right. It was really, it was really interesting. Like, it's, like, it doesn't come out to really long, like, really late in the game, like, the 60s kind of in the issues. Okay. Um, but it does also, like, the whole thing was he, he was the, the informant, for the CIA and for the boys, he was um, the informant back then right. as well, to a degree. Right. Um, but yeah, overall, they're very close, but like slightly different that he was given up as collateral damage mm-hmm. from the Seven side. Yeah, yeah. And he purposely killed her family as well, which is the, the big... Yeah, he, his whole thing was he, he had enough of being scared mm-hmm. of Butcher and the boys, so he took it, to, he followed them and took it to Mallory. Excellent. And he was like, I'm going to end this and destroy them which just like amped it up mm-hmm. and the whole the whole bit about that came down to mutually assured destruction mm-hmm. so it's like yeah you're going to take one of ours we're going to take one of yours and this is just going to end badly yeah. and so essentially Homelander goes no you take Lamplighter and then this is quits this is the end of it yeah. he killed one of yours or one of yours family we're giving him over to you mm-hmm. as a sign of peace Excellent. An olive branch. Excellent. Cool. There you go. So that is Chris's Corner. Yeah. Again, fellow listeners, let us know if there's anything you'd like to know. I'll get into that later. Yeah, I really like the reanimation of the corpse side of things. I thought that's nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun job at like yeah, heroes always coming back. Mm-hmm. It's the whole thing that V brings you back, but you're just brain dead and you just... You're still in a suit, but you slow yourself, you're drooling, you can't talk, you're like the zombified, um, reanimated, very dead. Cool. Very cool. Uh, that's it for our discussion about episode six of The Boys, uh, season two. That's the right way around. Um, John, overall, what's your rating for the episode? Um, I really loved this uh, episode. I give it four and a half love sausages in a loony bin out of five. <laughs> um, I just... You know, it really brought a lot of stuff into sharp focus. Um, what with the the origin of Stormfront being older than we thought, and, and her her kind of pitch to Homelander, but even just the whole the whole escapades at Sage Grove were really really good, and getting the lamplighter there uh, and seeing Frenchie's backstory and um, throughout this was so so good. Mm-hmm. And what with the the uh, alley scenes with Homelander and Stormfront or with um, the skin scarf around Mother's Milk's uh, neck uh, during the breakout of some of the inmates there uh-huh. at Sage Grove. Uh, it was just, there were some really good the boys moments as well, Absolutely. I think, in this episode. So really yeah. great episode from my side. Yeah, really, really good. Chris, what, anything to add? No, uh, it was perfectly encapsulated by John there. Excellent, excellent. Feeling a bit thirsty, boys. Let's get on over to the pub for the pub quiz. John, what's this week's question? Welcome to the pub quiz, fellow boys and girls and pub quizzers. Yes, question six. Is Huey related? 
What shampoo does little old lovable Huey use? <laughs> what shampoo does little lovable Huey use? Excellent. On his head as well. Yes. And this is as close as I could get to a drink as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like it. The full name of yes. the shampoo that Huey uses. All Absolutely. The, the full name, the full details. Love it. I'm going to send in uh, your answers to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com and you'll be in a chance to win some The Boys goodies uh, at the end of this season. So please keep those questions coming in. Absolutely. Do you know what else you can send in the feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com? Feedback. Yep. Feedback. Let's get on to our feedback section. Uh, first up, we got an email from Jimmy Uren on last week's episode. Uh, he said, just when I thought this show could not get any crazier, we now have a, have superhero sex. I had been wondering if I'd ever seen anything like this before on screen when you mentioned Luke and Jessica Jones on the show. Uh, but even that was street level superheroes with super strength. This was a whole new can of worms. That ending made me forget a lot of the rest of the episode details, but one thing that did stick was a character with, with an even worse accent than Billy Butcher, his Aunt Judy, who sounded at one point like she just walked off the set of Neighbours. <laughs> one interesting point I did find was that her real name was Barbara Gordon. I wonder if she goes by Babs. Though she did, she has no other IMDb credits at all, which is unusual. Action aside, she was a lot of fun, and I wonder if she'll be back, as hopefully will terror the dog. I wonder if Aunt Judy, the actress who played her, is actually from Neighbours. I noticed in the credits that a lot of this show was filmed in Australia. So maybe she did have a, yeah, did have a starring be, actually, role in yeah. Australia. Oh, sorry, in Neighbours. Yeah. yeah, maybe it's Helen Daniels. No, definitely would have recognised Helen Daniels. <laughs> or Madge. <laughs> I'd also recognise Madge even after all of these years. <laughs> maybe they're in disguise. <laughs> well, uh, I think a lot of information from the episode, just like Jimmy, has been wiped from my mind with the sex scene at the end of it. <laughs> uh, Jimmy continues with, this episode also contains some of the funniest swearing I've heard on TV, which of course I can't repeat here, but included multiple references to Billy's sea sense and Tara's special toy. As for the violence, that face rip from the female actually made me turn away from the TV. Ouch. On to predictions, I think there could, or maybe should, be a sort of mutual enemy. Defenders-style team-up with Starlight, convincing Maeve, Deep, and A-Train to join the female and the rest of the boys against Homelander and Storefront. They would still be losing until Noir is ordered to help them by Voss and turns the tides. Very interesting. Yeah, that is yeah. a nice little idea, actually, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, I'm thinking, I think that's close to what I think is going to happen. The one question I have is, a season three has been confirmed it's coming at some point in the future, whenever people can go back to film. Um, how do they do that if everybody turns from the seven over onto the side of the boys? But I just don't know how it's going to end. You know, they've made us wait week to week, which I absolutely love for this season. Maybe it'll just be a massive cliffhanger with the standoff at the end of the season. <laughs> you know, maybe that's the way they'll do it and lead it into the next season. Uh, but interesting predictions. Yes, definitely. I, I do think what we're going to end up is a smaller conclusion but uh, like the majority of that standoff will happen in season three mm -hmm. excellent but good prediction yeah. excellent uh finally jimmy asked a question for you chris said a quick question for chris's corner is lenny a comic book character and if so what is the story there thank you jimmy for the question and welcome to chris's corner your particular one uh yes in the comics uh lenny is the younger brother of billy butcher and actually while billy takes after his father in terms of kind of um 
kind of looking like he was beaten by... Uh, oh, well, although Carl Urban is quite good-looking, Billy Butcher in the comics is not. Uh, but Lenny takes after their mother and is a lot more calm and stuff. Um, he's one of the few people like Huey who can uh, essentially kind of calm down uh, Butcher and kind of curb his violent kind of tendencies. Um, for example, when uh, Billy and Lenny's father beats and kind of caves in um, or really badly beats uh, their mother, um, Billy goes after the, his father mm-hmm. and is literally like seconds away from murdering him. Yeah. And Lenny is stops him. That's kind of there. Like he's able to calm Billy down and stop him taking to that edge. He's the canary, if you okay. will. Um, but when Billy goes off to join the Marines, Lenny goes to college. Uh, and while Billy is away, uh, Lenny dies pretty soon after join, when Billy joins the Marines. Okay. He, he's hit by a bus. Um, and it, uh, Billy has to come back and finds out quite later. Mm-hmm. And he, he's always held that over his help, not held over himself. He's always blamed himself for not being there for protecting Lenny, mm-hmm. even though it was a hit and run, well, hit and run. It was a tragic roadside accident versus anything else. It's just, it's something that stays with me. Yeah. So yes, thank you for that. Excellent. Thanks so much for that, Jimmy. And thanks so much for the feedback. And thanks, Chris, for an extended edition of Chris's Corner. <laughs> No problem. Thank you very much. Uh, we also got some feedback uh, over on Facebook from Dr. Bob Phillips, who had this to say. Another fast-moving marvel of telly. Delighted with it again. My bits to pick at are numerous, but if the top three have to stand first, my boy's moment is, didn't I tell you Butcher was just a misunderstanded puppy? He returns for terror and loves Huey like his lost sibling. But I only just like this above Auntie Joanne, the pharmacist. <laughs> My soup moment, they had me with the mass murder. <laughs> Completely believed they'd gone there. Uh-huh. Pipped the farewell of A-Train, the juice bar racism, the destruction fun time, and the messiah as the dark ringtone. My outstanding moment, the destructive butcher as his melodic metal gig. Mm-hmm. Yes, that battle um, at the uh, at the metal uh, concert was pretty uh, pretty badass from uh, from Butcher. Yeah. yeah, he goes for the biggest, tallest guy in the mm-hmm. room and just keeps wailing. Doctor Bob goes on to say, "My notes, Mother's Milk and Outlander. Of course, he'll be a fan of the most romantic sci-fi historical on the planet." And the episode, the quite perfect call out of bio erasure going on, and the ongoing exploration of all sexual experiences with S and M and sex dolls, admittedly for a bulldog, <laughs> and massage parlors getting covered this week. Nice, nice catches there, <laughs> touch Bob. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I actually had a, a really good discussion on uh, on Twitter the other day about um, about that experience of bio erasure in the episode. This this way the PR people are talking to Maeve and Elena in the episode and it really is that experience where that we were talking about uh, was this is something that is that clearly goes on backstage at almost every single TV show that's been on television for the last 15 years um, don't make it too complicated middle America doesn't like that let's make sure that even though we're talking and inclu- inclusive of LGBT plus people that we're talking to straight white people and we're explaining them the way straight white white, white people want to have them explained to them because you don't really want to open their eyes to these things. You just want to say you're including them because you're including them. So, um, so yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. 
Yep. Dr. Bob went on to ask a question. Chris Jones, what was the Russian movie posters in Kimiko's Killer Cafe? And any meaning or sort of comic backstory? Mm. Good question. I went back, rewatched the scene. As far as I can see, they're just kind of postered, ad posters. There's definitely one with Queen Maeve selling Russian vodka. Um, so yeah, that was a good one. But there, as far as I can see, there was nothing really. It looked like Queen Maeve, unless it's a Russian soup for Vought. Mm. Uh, but we'll, we'll yeah. Uh, if you find any more, let me know. But definitely not a big one. Thank you so much for that feedback. Uh, we also got feedback from Donald Dennis over on Facebook, who says, I'm still not certain Stan Edgar is powerless. Maybe he just doesn't have a big physical power, but instead has a don't murder me field or something. Also, Terror, that dog does not look eight years old, but his girlfriend is hilarious. <laughs> Excellent, Donald. I like that. Um, the don't murder me field around uh, around Stan Edgar. That's quite interesting. That's, that's entirely possible. You never know. Yeah. He too could be one of uh, uh, Vought's uh, early experiments. Maybe, yeah, Maybe. definitely. Maybe, yeah. Uh, thanks, Donald, for that, and also as well to to Bob and Jimmy from myself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Salim Akizla said, "What the f did I just watch?" Overall, this was mostly a setup episode, but some great stuff nonetheless. Love seeing Terra, meeting Billy's aunt, and hearing more about his family. I'm picturing Lenny as Comics Huey. Also, Kimiko taking Underworld contracts was a nice nod to the comics. The sequel to Dawn of the Seven, maybe Civil War. Maeve appears to be leading an insurrection. No shortage of disgruntled team members now with A-Train denied his chance back in. Mm -hmm. Maybe she'll join up with Starlight and the boys. I was wondering how in the hell Vaught was going to come back from Homelander commuting genocide. So it makes sense that that was just fantasy. Later, I thought Billy was going to see a vision of Black Noir killing all of his friends, but they didn't go back to that well. Yeah, thanks, uh, Salim. Certainly, uh, there is a move here that Maeve, along with A-Train, Starlight, The Deep... Maybe even Lamplighter and and the boys are going to be the rebellion here. Mm-hmm. As I'm looking forward to that for sure. That was good to to see. I didn't like Kimiko uh, taking out contracts as well. Uh, that that was a nice little nod to the the comics. So mm. yeah, no thanks, Salim. Yes, thank you, Salim. And yeah, I, I do. When they talk about Lenny, you in my head, I, I can see what you mean about uh, co- the comics version of Huey, which is the the uh, Simon Pegg looking Scottish wee Huey. He's even more nervous though in the comics, isn't he? Yeah, yeah <laughs> or maybe yeah. they just play it off for a lot longer. Maybe then. Yeah, maybe. We also got some feedback from Chris Aggie. He shows some feedback about our episode five podcast. Great discussion. Thank you. I think this is currently my least favorite episode of this season, which isn't saying much, only that other episodes were more outstanding because I really don't dig these setup episodes very much, especially when it feels like a gazillion storylines and you constantly jump between them. That said, there were so many great moments in the separate storylines I really liked and enjoyed, so that my criticism really is mostly nitpicking. <laughs> he also had some speculation for episode six. He says, so what are the chances that we'll get a Homelander 
I am your mother line in the next boys episode. Mm, interesting oh, stuff. No. I, I, I wonder <laughs> if we may have kind of gotten that a little bit in this episode with Stormfront. Yeah. Um, although it is a bit more like a, hey, I'm your grandmother line, I suppose, more than anything else. But certainly, mm. you know, she was the at least a metaphorical mother you know, of the Vought family. She was the original compound V uh, soup, I suppose. So um, I wonder if it's more like that. Yeah, I'm really hoping there's no I am your mother moment. Remember how many of our listeners had problems with the two unrelated siblings in Umbrella Academy having an attraction for each other? (laughs) Uh, If she was literally saying I am your mother to Homelander, uh, I know he has some some major issues, but... uh, that might be the thing that truly breaks him. <laughs> well, if he was a test tube child created from her, I, I, I don't know. I don't know whether he'd be able to do it. I know it wasn't a mother, but Star Wars did it. Again, slightly Brother, different. sister. <laughs> slightly different. That was just a peck on the cheek. Maybe. Okay, I am so delighted, Chris, that you sent that into us. It's something I never wanted to speculate on uh, from the episodes. The possibility that it could be her, his actual mother. I think. Yeah, I think spiritual mother or um, or creator metaphorical. Yeah, possibly that's what uh, that's that's where it would go. I'm hoping the show doesn't go into uh, into actual uh, biological mother. That would not be cool. Um, thanks so much for that, Chris. Uh, final piece of feedback comes in once again from the awesome Steve Brown. Hey guys, this is Steve. This is for the boys, uh, episode five. Uh, we gotta go now. Uh, like another musical reference there, I think. But uh, love the quick line at the very beginning, the whole Joss rewrite thing, because, you know, he was known for rewriting screenplays and things like that for a long time. And uh, and then Greg Grunberg showing up uh, there in the movie within the TV show was another great uh, love, Greg Grunberg, and everything I've seen him in. Um, Okay, so for my boy's moment, it was uh, definitely Kamiko for me, because, you know, she took that guy's face off, took his face off. There's been so many references to the movie Face Off in the last couple weeks that I just thought that was kind of a cool little coincidence. Um, But that whole conversation in the church where the closed captioning showed us what she was saying, but of course Frenchie doesn't know what she's going through was uh, um, kind of difficult and you see him just kind of walk away from her. Uh, for my seven moment, um, gosh, it's 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 hard to pick just one, but uh, I was fooled, man. Homeland when that whole thing when Homelander mowed down that crowd, I thought, oh man, he's lost it. But no, of course, it was just in his head. So I thought that was uh, that that kind of caught me. But uh, you know, the big moment, I don't know which is bigger the the reveal that Billy Butcher has a brother and the similarities to Huey and their relationship, or if uh, that disturbing sex scene between Stormfront and Homelander was more disturbing. Uh, so I can't wait to hear your guys' take on this one. Uh, and, you know, there is no comparison. I don't think there's any way you can compare the boys with Lovecraft Country. It just, there's no, I, I can't find a through line to correct it, uh, uh, to connect it, unless you go with the racism of Stormfront. Uh, all right, talk to you later. That's about it, I think, uh, Steve. Yeah, I think that's about the only thing that connects. Although we did notice one this episode uh, where we find out that A-Train's uh, from the south side of Chicago uh, and a lot of Lovecraft's country is set in the south side of Chicago as well. So uh, we're building them up. Maybe by the end of both seasons we'll have uh, we'll have a few a few things that connect. Although it will still be very tenuous. It will be very, very tenuous, yeah. Uh, thanks so much for the feedback, Steve. Uh, very good to hear your thoughts. 
Yeah, thanks, Steve, uh, for that. Yes, I kind of didn't really think that it was a revelation, but it is really. I think Steve was right. That Billy's brother, Lenny, looked like Huey. Mm. Yeah, that's a bit weird, isn't it? It's like it at least reminds, maybe the twitchy nature of Huey uh, reminds mm. uh, his aunt of of, uh, of Billy's younger brother. Yeah, I know what you mean. Though, that maybe I, I think for me, I was saying last episode, it seems like a revelation that he has any family, <laughs> yeah, let alone a big, broad family with lots of lots of uh, other relatives. Uh, for me, maybe that was my. Uh, maybe I'm kind of with Steve in it being feeling like a big revelation. Um, and you know, he also mentioned uh, Greg uh, Grunberg uh, being in the uh, in the Dawn of the Seven movie. Uh, Greg Grunberg was is the guy who's used by J.J. Abrams in lots of his movies. He, I think he was in Heroes, uh, and then he moved on and, and was in. You'll see him as a background actor in Star Wars as one of the X-wing pilots. You'll see him in loads of other movies that uh, that are out there, uh, all connected to J.J. Abrams. So, uh, so I liked it, liked seeing him in the background here as well. It's quite cool. Hundred percent, yeah. And uh, thank you, Steve, for all the feedback and agreed, as you heard, face off, face <laughs> off, face off. We're great minds thinking. Excellent. Thanks so much for all the feedback this week. Keep sending it into us uh, as we get through the last two episodes of the show. Next week, we're back with the penultimate episode of The Boys, season two, episode seven. Butcher Baker, candlestick maker. <laughs> thank you so much, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe over at tvpodcastindustries.com on all good or evil VOD-affiliated or boys-affiliated podcast catchers. You can write a review over on Apple Podcasts or any other good podcast feed where you can write in reviews. Don't forget to share the love by sharing the podcast. You can also support us over on patreon.com slash tvpodcastindustry where just a dollar helps these lights stay on. The podcast mics still running and powered. Any support is great. We really appreciate you. Absolutely. Speak to you very soon. Yeah, thanks so much for that. I did mean to mention that we are now available on Amazon Music Podcasts. Uh, All of our podcasts from TV Podcast Industries are now available over on Amazon, just like they are on Google, just like they are on all the Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So another place where you can get all of your TV Podcast Industries goodness, including The Boys Podcast from TV Podcast Industries and Lovecraft Country the dreadful podcast from TV Podcast Industries. Yes. All available over there. So just thought I'd mention it. Does that make, would Amazon be the VOD affiliated podcast catcher? Possibly. I thought that was Google. I think they all are, to be honest. I think they all are. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) If you want a The Boys affiliated podcast catcher, I think a more sort of bespoke, like audio guru or beyond pod, they're the the small good ones. Yes. The Android ones. Anyway, yes. uh, just thought I'd mention it. Uh, John, do you want to close this out? Yeah, thanks, uh, fellow boys and girls, for joining us. Remember, never go off into shark-infested waters without some chum. Uh, <laughs> but remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep lighting. Bye. 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 Bye.